It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Commons Center with Rick Roaring. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer, branch manager of First Community Mortgage. Rick, uh, we are one week deep into the NFL season. A lot of craziness has already happened. We are plugging along in college football. We're upsets. We're galore. We'll talk about that. We got our gambling segment. We got our Ask Skinny Anything segment. We we always think we don't have enough, and then I look up and we've done an hour and 15 minutes. So I know we've got a lot. Oh, yeah. We've got plenty now that football season has started. If we made it through the summer the way we did, Good we're going to be fine once this time of year makes it around. And uh, we are. So the Bengals. Lost the season opener to the Steelers 23-20 in overtime on Sunday. We broke down all sorts of reasons why they came up short on our Bengals recap podcast Sunday night. You can check that out on the same podcast feed. Skinny, what would you say played the biggest role in the Bengals' loss? Was it Joe Burrow's turnovers, the poor coaching decisions that we talked about, offensive line play, injuries, or something else? Yeah, I mean, the injury to, to Clark Harris was was paramount. As, as much as Joe Burrow played poorly – as much as there were some weird and bad coaching decisions, and there were, um, they win the game with their regular long snapper, who has never, and I got to emphasize this, he came to this team in 2009. Um, think about <laughs> think about this for a second. He came to this team in 2009 when Barack Obama was barely into his first term as president. We've had upheaval and craziness all since then. He's never had an unplayable snap on a placement kick or a punt. So if he's healthy... They win the game. That's that's how crazy that was. As, as much as all the things we can complain about Zach Taylor and we're right on complaining about much of that, as bad as Joe Burrow was, I can't imagine he's ever going to be worse in his career. If your long snapper's healthy, you win the game. There's no way around that. That's definitely the case. The only other thing I would say is I don't think the game is even close if Joe Burrow doesn't have five turnovers. No question. So I would probably lean towards that as the, what played the biggest role in the loss. But, I mean, if you want to pin it down on one thing that could have changed it, no doubt the injury to Clark Harris would have been the difference. Now, now Clark Harris is out for the rest of the year. How big of an issue is that going to be going forward? Do you think they can fix that in one week? We're going to find out. I mean, Cal Adamitis, we watched him yesterday. Um, they, they did special teams during the during the period open to practice. Um, he seemed to snap okay. I saw a couple that weren't perfect. They weren't, like, wobbly or um, – you know, or high or low, they just weren't perfect. I mean, Clark Harris's snaps are literally almost every time, not just good, but perfect. And I do want to go back to, you know, the fact, and I, and Darren Simmons was, was, was really good in explaining a lot of the special teams issues. You know, the, the first snap on the extra point, I, and I say the Clark Harris injury, but it really was a protection issue. Drew, I, I talked to Drew Sample in the locker room Monday and he said, I messed up. I went the wrong way. And if you look at the tape, he did go there. He went, he went left when he should have gone right. And it allowed Minka Fitzpatrick to come through. So, um, I, I and I asked Darren point blank, did the snap have anything to do with it? And he said, no, absolutely not. I don't know if I believe that because um, it wasn't with great velocity and maybe a little more velocity gets it back there enough to where Minka doesn't get there to block it. But, um, you know, I I still go back to all I know is the guys never had a bad snap. That's all I go back to. We talked about the different coaching decisions that were made that people didn't agree with. And mostly it seemed like the the fans were right. And Zach Taylor even admitted that the, the fans were right in some of those instances is that they need to clean some of that up from a coaching perspective. What explanation did Zach Taylor give that was most convincing in your opinion? Um, the, the fact that they should have slowed down on the, uh, 
on, on the Jamar Chase play and, and the fact that, you know, I, I'm going to do this in real time and it's hard. And we talked to Brian Callahan yesterday as well. And he said, he said, you know, you guys think we have a bunch of diff- different views. He said, we have the same TV view you, you guys have. And their fear on the Jamar Chase play was that he that he didn't get both feet in or didn't catch it cleanly because his back is to them. So they don't see it. And they see a bunch of Steelers people on the sidelines and good for them signaling incomplete, which that's, uh, you know, so they're, they're freaking out thinking, oh, no, maybe he didn't get in. Let's rush to the line of scrimmage and run a play. And they did. And it lost yardage. The, the, the thing that that I'm convinced about is that they they really did think that maybe he wasn't in. They were on the inch line. You know, you're allowed to get an inch in this league. Instead, unfortunately, Joe Mixon went backwards for two yards, and it was a, a, a train wreck of errors after that. So I, I do believe that. And that's where he said, he said, you know, we, we could slow that down. We should have slowed that down. Um, but but I'll, I'll, might, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit because I didn't realize that in the moment. I didn't really think – I didn't they either. thought it might have been incomplete. I thought for some reason they thought there was going to be an advantage to sneaking it in on the, the one inch line and catching Pittsburgh with the wrong personnel on the field or something. And that's why they were hurrying up. I didn't really I didn't really think about the idea that they thought it was an incomplete pass potentially. And we're trying to hurry up for that reason. So it couldn't be reviewed. So I, I don't know. I mean, I obviously, when you look at it, hindsight being 2020, he's it looks like he's clearly in and it's obviously a touchdown. And you say, you got to give yourself a chance to review that. But on the flip side, I mean, if that's a situation where he might, it might've been more iffy and it could get overturned, then I don't know. You know, maybe they're doing the right thing there. So I, that's a tough one. Once I heard his explanation, I, I definitely cut him a little more slack on that play. Yeah. And he even admitted in hindsight, I wish I had that one back. Um, so, you know, he, he didn't dig in and go, no, you guys are all stupid. We had to do it. No, he said in hindsight, I'd like to have that one back. I'd like to slow it down, kind of let it breathe a little bit. Give us a chance to maybe look at the replay a few more times. Um, you know, and, and I still go back to that wasn't the difference in the game. And I think that's what everybody thinks that that was right. that that was a touchdown that would have won. the. I mean, at that point, the extra point could have been blocked. And then Pittsburgh could have maybe made a great drive and milked the clock and kicked the field goal at the end to win it anyway. And it wouldn't have been any difference. Well, I mean, that's I mean, that's exactly what happened at the end of regulation. They still got the touchdown and right. they got the extra point block that would have won it. So I keep seeing people say they didn't challenge this touchdown that would have won the game. And it's like, but well, hold on. They still scored that same touchdown with the same score and they still didn't win the game because right. the extra point got blocked. So that's right. I mean, Clark Harris wasn't going to be there regardless whether they scored on the Jamar Chase catch, uh, the, the first Jamar Chase catch that didn't get challenged, or if they scored later at the end of regulation as they did, there's no guarantee that that extra point gets in. A Drew Sample still would have been blocking on that left side. So I don't know that th- – I, I don't really understand that point. Yes, you'd like to have that touchdown, the guaranteed touchdown sure. if you can – but I don't know that it really played a role in the, the loss necessarily. No. And, and the other explanation I thought on, on the whole punting with 13 to 15 seconds, whatever it was on the, on the play clock, I thought the explanation was good. And I think they realized that it didn't, it didn't work the way they wanted. Um, you know, they, they talked about initially Darren Simmons said when we first recovered the fumble, which Samaj P. Ryan recovered Joe Burrow's fumble and re- returned it. He said, I know the rule. He goes, but I, I didn't even think in the moment. I was thinking, okay, we got back into field goal range. Let's kick the field goal. Then all of a sudden, when they started to, to move it back, he said, I knew, yeah, the only guy that can advance that is Joe. All right, I got the punt team ready. So he said, we we held him in the huddle. We thought long enough. He said, I did not want 
Mitchell standing over the snap for a long period of time thinking about making that long snap. He said, we should have probably held them in the huddle longer. We thought we held them in the huddle a long time. They go to the line of scrimmage. Mike Thomas, the, the, uh, the personal protector who calls the signals on that play, he admitted he went too early. He probably should have waited a handful more seconds, but he didn't because they didn't want Mitchell standing over the football for a long time thinking about that snap. And it's funny because we don't even, you know, we, we talk about the, the arguably not a great snap on the, on the extra point that was blocked, although it was a protection issue and definitely not a very good snap on the, on the field goal that, that Evan McPherson missed. You know, we don't even think about the fact that that punch snap was a pretty good snap because maybe he didn't think about it. So, you know, maybe it could have been a catastrophe if they had milked it to the last second and Pittsburgh timed it up and he's freaking out trying to block and snaps one over his head and they're already in field goal range anyway. So again, they know they made mistakes. I'll give them, and they admitted it. That's the thing. Some coaches will dig in in the moment and go, no, we're right. You're wrong. You're stupid. We're not. We're coaching. I thought they tried to explain it as best they could, to be quite frank. Yeah, I appreciated that from Zach Taylor. And the, the thing that I appreciated most was that he didn't come out and treat all the media members like they were idiots and just give some nonsensical answer. He said, yeah, we've got to be better in certain situations. Right, we, some we, of the spots we were wrong. And, yeah, and they he, he be said better. we met as a staff and we, we decided we needed to do some things in game management better. Good for you. It sucks yeah. that they lost. I mean, it wasn't Nathaniel Hackett bad. That was bad. It was bad, mind you, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not even close to what Nathaniel Hackett did in the, the Monday night game. And missed. to his credit, too, he didn't dig in, and he, he admitted he messed up. Uh, kind of, but I, I <laughs> his explanation wasn't very good. No, I, I don't he, think he understood why he messed up, to be quite honest, after yeah, hearing maybe. him explain it. Yeah, uh, maybe. But, but I, I will going back to the snap early on the punt with, with like 14 seconds left or whatever it was, Someone did bring up on Twitter after we we did Sunday night show and we failed to mention that what they probably should have done in that situation was take the five yard penalty for delay of game. And then you have plenty of time to get the punt off as comfortable as you want. I know you're saying they don't want Wilcox standing over the ball long and waiting for the snap. But I think if you take the penalty, get five yards and it's got kind of fresh slate, you can snap whenever you want. You don't have to worry about them jumping the snap and the timing and all of that. That's probably your best bet. And I heard Zach say they didn't want to give up the field position right. in that spot because if right. you screw up, then Pittsburgh's already getting close to field goal range. Yes. At a certain point, I think you got to trust NFL players to make. Yeah. And, that, and that, yeah. And I, I, again, I think his explanation, I understand it. I understand it in the moment. And, and I truly believe that, that that was going through their minds of, you know, if we give up five yards and suddenly we have a catastrophic situation, they are literally already in field goal range. They don't have to make a handful of yards to get there. I get it, but you're right. At some stage, you have to try, even though it's a backup long snapper, you got to trust the operation. If it doesn't work at that point in the game, oh, well, it's nobody's fault other than the fact that the guy got hurt. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Long snapping is a specialized skill. It's a weird thing to do. Yep. I can totally understand why there are issues in an NFL game when you have to step in and there's pressure and you're not used to doing it other than occasionally at practice when there's no stakes on the line. But at the same time, it's not an impossible thing to do either. And doing it for a punt is much easier than doing it for a field goal. Cause in a field goal, you got to be much more precise. You have a much smaller target where you can put it and then catch it and do a smooth process for a punt. The punter can move all around, catch it high, catch it low and still get a punt off. So, well, and the other part too is and Mitchell said that he, he had done more because um, he doesn't do a lot because he's a tight end. Don't forget. Everybody's wondering, you know, why doesn't he take more reps? Well, right. he's, you know, his job is tight end. So yeah. he's working tight end in practice. He's not working special teams in practice. He's doing this before practice, after practice, when he can. And, you know, it's not very much because you don't 
you don't think that situation is probably going to arise. You just want to make sure you got somebody that can at least do it somewhat. And he even admitted he had practiced more long, long snap or punting long snap than, than kicking long snap. And like I said, I, you know, in retrospect, I didn't even process the fact that that long snap on the punt was good enough to get the punt off. It wasn't even, a, it, it, it was fine. That was the funny part. So hopefully, you know, they knew that too going in, which then allows you to go, all right, Mitchell's, Mitchell's a little shaky on placement long snaps. He's not very shaky on punt long snaps. So let's go ahead and take the delay because we, we trust that that snap's going to be good. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I understand why they wouldn't have that level of specificity in mind, but like, right. again, it's just an easier task than they're kind of making it out to be in this situation. Long snapping for a punt, it's again, it's it's a weird skill. It's definitely specialized, but it's not impossible. And a guy who's done it regularly enough in NFL practices, you got to have a little faith that he's going to be able to make yeah, the play. And, and so and like I wasn't said, really buying that explanation. For yeah, me. and like you said, you have you have far more margin for error there too. It can be left a little bit. Like I said, I. You know, watching Cal Adamitis yesterday, I thought he snapped it fine. He's obviously there's his velocity is far better than Mitchell Wilcox's and damn close to Clark Harris's. But there were, you know, there was one a little bit to Kevin Huber's right. There was one a little bit to Kevin Huber's left. And um that didn't look like he threw the timing off whatsoever. Kevin's handled those before. Injury updates. Uh we we talked about the long snapping situation and Clark Harris. The other big injury was T. Higgins. It was a concussion situation. I don't know if there's much they could have told you this week, but have you heard anything? No, I, I think it's a good sign. I mean, the fact that he was out there light practicing on Wednesday, um, that's kind of the first step of returning from concussion protocol. And I've, I've been in weeks where guys are in concussion protocol and they don't even do that um, maybe until Friday at best and sometimes not even then. And if that's the case, then that guy misses the game. The fact that he was doing light practicing um, on Wednesday uh, to me then signifies – I, I would think he goes full today. Maybe not. They Maybe they ramp it up a little bit more because there is steps you have to take. But the fact that he was back even on Wednesday, to me, I, I, I think he plays on Sunday. I, I'll be shocked if he doesn't. Because it, it's funny. I, I went into yesterday. I was thinking about doing a story on, you know, here comes the wide receiver depth getting tested already. And then I see, I literally, I'm in the locker room and I'm looking for a couple of players, um, Lyle Collins and, and Chidobia Wujie, because they're going back to Dallas and they kind of blew us off. And um, I, I'm going to talk to Lyle today, uh, which is, a, with, you know, good for me. I at least get my guy on, on a day. But uh, and then I thought, OK, well, my secondary story will be, um, yeah, the wide receiver death is going to get te- tested. And all of a sudden I see T walk in with his uniform coming off the walk. Then I went, OK, well, maybe it's not going to get tested. And then suddenly, you know, he's out there as a limited participant in practice. I think that's a great sign. I again, I'd be stunned if T doesn't play. He might not play, you know. 95 to 100 snaps like Jamar Chase did, but uh, I, I think he he plays the vast majority of Sunday's game. I'd be stunned now at this stage if he didn't play, to be honest with you. That's, that's good news. What else came out of your conversations and the press conferences this week? Um, You know, the, the, the fact, and I'm writing this story today, I've got to write, the, the fact of, of in the moment, I didn't think about Jamar, place, Jamar Chase playing um, literally 100 snaps, 94 of which counted because there were penalties on some other snaps. And the fact that they moved him around, I knew the fact they moved him around a bunch because that was obvious. And and just the fact of, you know, even on that touchdown play, they they hadn't even repped it all week, and he's in a different spot than he normally is, and he runs the route perfectly. And and it sounds simple because it was just a simple out route, but, you know, he's got Minka Fitzpatrick to his inside. He's got the corner over the top of him outside on leverage, and he still runs the route perfectly to the pylon and, and scores a touchdown. He still goes for 10 catches, 129 yards, and he played 95 or 90, whatever, four flipping snaps. Um, I thought Brian Callahan said it perfectly. We were talking to him yesterday. He goes, he goes, 
he's not going to get enough credit for what he did. I'm telling you guys, that is amazing. And it is. Yeah, and the best part was he was unbelievable at the end of the game. Yeah, he didn't tire out. He he got better as it went on, like he's been known to do. Going back to last. Although, year. did you so. see the picture of him and Burrow at the end of regulation? You mean the one where he's flipping off makeup Fitzpatrick? Or no, one? I saw that one. Yes, I saw that one too. No, the, um, and it's more him than Burrow. He's laying on the bench. I I'm, I I think as they're getting ready to kick the extra point to, to win it, um, like laying backwards, kind of with his eyes closed looking up, but again, his eyes are closed and it just looked like a, a look of sheer exhaustion on his face at the end of regulation. Then the cat had to go back out there and play the overtime. Yeah, well, he probably was exhausted. I, I guess the concern there is, is there any worry about wearing him down over the course of the season? That's a great point. And, and that's, uh, you know, Brian alluded to, they probably need in a game like that. You don't think of it because you're in the moment that they probably do need to give him a blow here and there. But, you know, I, I Zach Taylor actually, called his his conditioning elite yesterday and it is to play that many snaps it, your conditioning has to be elite can i bring up something that bothered me this week sure i saw this coming from a mile away okay this will be good ever since sunday night happened and we i think we talked about it very briefly on, on the podcast but people were making way too much out of this Joe Burrow sitting at his locker thing after the game. It's like everything this dude does has to be unique and special. And he's so different. And it means so much to him. And I'm like, what are we talking about? You guys were in the lot. I mean, I've been in the locker room after games. It's not, I mean, you're there for a while, but it's not that long. And seeing a guy sitting at his locker, isn't that unique or weird. I mean, I, I, I get what everyone was trying to do, but like, it, there's so many people now tweeting about the Bengals and doing this stuff after games that it's a game of telephone. One person sees it and then it's like everyone's got to pile on and make their tweet a bigger deal. So it grows into this whole narrative about Joe is so contemplative after the game and he just can't stand losing. And then everyone finally gets to talk to him this week and he's like, ah, no, I do that after every game. What are you talking about? Yeah. So so it's funny you say that. So I saw it myself, too. I, I, I and, and I did think that he was contemplative. I thought that he was. He almost looked catatonic. I think some of it was a combination of exhaustion. Yeah, freaking tired. Yeah, exhaustion, disappointment in himself, all of those things. But Paul Daner Jr. and I were were staying there. Um, We'd kind of talked to everybody. We're just kind of picking through the locker room at that point. And we both saw Joe. And at that point, the tweets were going out. And he said, you know, everybody's doing this. He said, you know what? This is literally the first time we have been in a locker room setting with Joe Burrow. This is the first he goes, maybe he does it after every loss. Maybe he does it after every game. I said, exactly. Wait, um, wait. So, said, it, so it was your first time in the locker yes. room. After game. I, I brought that up on the podcast Sunday night and you yes. were like, no, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, no, you were right. I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry about right. that. You were you were actually dead right. It was. I didn't even think about it. It's just, you know, all this stuff becomes a blur after a while. So, yes. Um, so so think about that for a second. So, you know, maybe after every loss, he's like that. I don't think he's like that after every win because we've actually seen him dancing around in the locker room with a cigar and and, yeah. and shooting off pistols with his fingers and all that stuff <laughs> after wins. Right. Yeah. Um, and I get that, but I, I, I do think that there was, I, I did think it was interesting, but I didn't think it was interesting enough to go. Let's tweet about this. I, I, and I guess maybe I'm too old to do that anymore. I, some of it, I also respect their privacy a little bit. If that's why you want to handle a loss, dude, you handle however you want. Um, I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't even care that it was mentioned necessarily, but it's just like, it, it's, it just keeps growing and growing. Right. It just becomes something that it's not. And I mean, right. it's so obvious. It's like, people relax not every like he's amazing he's incredible 
super excited to have him in Cincinnati and all of that stuff. But not everything has to be this Joe Burrow is an alien and he's so different and just means so much to him stuff. He was freaking sitting at his locker. Who cares? Who cares? You're allowed to sit at your locker. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a weird thing to blow up the way it was. And it was like every single person that talks about the Bengals was on there making it into a narrative online. And it's like, oh, God, can't wait till we can get back in there on Wednesday to see Joe so we can ask him about sitting at his locker. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Again, I did think it was interesting. Um, uh, I, I get, you know, there, there's, there are times where, you you know, sometimes I like to just come home at, at night after a long day and sit in my chair and just sit there and be contemplative. And that's fine. I mean, no one cares what I'm doing, and I don't really care what Joe Burrow's doing after that game. I just don't. Now, if he's dancing around naked and, and, and doing cartwheels and stuff, that might be interesting enough to tweet about. But this was not to me. This was him. Listen, that's how you process a loss. Fine, dude. Process it however you want. I, you know, the, the world will spin the next day. Yeah. I, I will I, say, I will say, I do know there are some reporters that are literally um, on, on Wednesdays having to do Joe Burrow stories, no matter if he does anything. And it's like, good Lord, are we really at that stage with this guy? Are we really there? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any issue with Joe covering. Burrow spoke. Here, here's the headline going to be in the next couple. Of weeks. Joe Burrow speaks, doesn't really say anything, but I have to write something. And then you write something. And that's I get all that. Like I've 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 done this to some extent. So like I get you have bosses. They ask you to do things you don't want to do all the and time. Most, all boss, most but, bosses, not mine, but most bosses are stupid. Yeah, that that is that is a fact. But also, that's not the same thing as what we're talking about here, where reporters walk past a guy in a locker room and freak out about absolute nothingness because they just want him to be so special, so bad. And it's like people. Relax, you know, yeah, like everything's you. not a story. I hate to tell you that, but like I, I know you got a job to do. All right. The, the Bengals will try to get on the winning track this Sunday and they travel to Dallas to take on the Cowboys at 425. The big news heading into this game is the injury. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott suffered Sunday night and 19 to three loss to the Buccaneers. Prescott injured the thumb on his throwing hand in the fourth quarter of the game and had surgery on it Monday. Cooper Rush will get the start in his place against Cincinnati. Skinny, how big of an impact do you think this is going to have on the game? Actually, it, it might it might help Dallas more than it hurts uh, hurts them because oh, you're pulling a Skip Bayless, huh? I, I uh, you know Dak Dak wasn't very good in the opener. Um, <laughs> you're going you know, full Beng- Skip Bayless, all right? Yeah, the, I mean the, the the Bengals last year, Mike White. I mean, you got to go back to the Mike White game, right? That's what scares me about this, actually. Yeah, exactly. Now there is some film on on Cooper Rush that there really wasn't on Mike White from an NFL perspective. He did start a game against the Vikings last year. He obviously came in and, and filled in on Sunday. Um, I don't think it has a ton of impact, only because I just don't think Dallas is very good to begin with. Uh, you know, I I, I kind of put this as a as a a fifty fifty game when the year started, um, just because I, I I you know they have enough skill guys and special guys like Micah Parsons. Um, like Diggs, like Zeke Elliott, like CeeDee Lamb, like Dak Prescott, who's a very good quarterback. I don't think he's in that upper echelon elite, but I think he's a very good quarterback. So I thought they had enough of it. But that offensive line is just so, so, so bad. I'm not sure they got a secondary option to CeeDee Lamb. I'm not sure what Zeke's got left in the tank, to be quite honest with you, because he's taken a pounding in his in his NFL career to this point. Um, you know, they tried to make it a two-headed monster of him and Tony Pollard. And I've read stuff of, well, they'll just lean on the running game. Well, they tried to lean on the running game on Sunday and it sucked because the offensive line sucks. Uh, yeah. The fear is the kind of the unknown of Cooper rush, but at the same time, I just don't think Dallas is very good. 
you said you felt like this was a toss up game coming into the year. H- have you changed on that? Do you put this in the should win column now? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's um, good. The Bengals need need one after dropping the Steelers game. That was. A yeah. And th- I mean, let's go back again. You were minus five in turnovers. Yep. And you should have won the game against a rival with which has an elite defensive front and maybe i can argue an elite defense period because of minka on the back end and miles jack now at the linebacking spot and you you still almost want it listen i know their offense is trash but the bengals dominated them they had 175 yards offense in in regulation they they didn't do anything other than uh return a pick six catch them on a on a flea flicker for for some big yards and set up a field goal really did nothing other than those things that, you know, the turnovers cost them the points. So, you know, to think that, that Dallas is going to do something against this defense, which I thought had a chance to be a top 10 defense coming in the year. And I think it even more now, I'm not buying it. I just don't think Dallas is very good. I'll be bringing some of those exact points back up when we get to our betting segment here in a little bit. How do you see Michael Parsons versus the Cincinnati offensive line playing out? Scary because they do move them around. Um, You know, again, talking to Brian Callahan yesterday, he, he was asked about that, and I thought he gave a really good answer. He said, you know, he goes, as great as T.J. Watt is, uh, we know where he lines up. You know, he lines up on the right side of the offense, and we can, can, can you know, have triggers to help that automatically. So the problem with Parsons is he can line up, you know, left, right, you know, in the A-gap, you, you and, and you have a hard time having automatic triggers to, to help block him. And I thought that was really interesting the way he started to explain it, and he's right. He, he, he has a chance to be disruptive and – um, you better you you better bring a better game as an offensive line than you brought this last game because if not, he can disrupt this game by himself. Well, and you know exactly what they're going to do. He's coming through that left side where you got Cordell Volson, yep. Jonah Williams, because they are clearly the weak spot right now. So yeah, Jonah, Jonah was Jonah was and Jonah wasn't blocking T.J. Watt. He was block, blocking Alex Highsmith, and Alex Highsmith had three sacks. Right. And a lot of those were now. I thought it was interesting hearing the coaches talk a little bit this week that it seemed like they were overall happier with the offensive line than you would have thought coming out of that game. But it, it sounded like there were some one-on-one battles that just got lost, like one-on-one yeah, matchups I, where I, it wasn't necessarily scheme related or a complete breakdown, but guys just getting beat one-on-one. Yeah. I, I, I good, you know, good for them. They're, they're not going to roll their guys under the bus. The way they're going to do it is make a lineup change if they had to, but I, I'm sorry that I don't buy that narrative. Um, and in fact, Brian Callahan yesterday was asked about that, and and he brought up the you know everybody wants to say you know it's the offensive line. He said, but you know it was Joe, and he said, yeah, you know, so the offensive line probably only gave up three or four sacks. And I went in my mind, I'm like, well, that's still a lot, Chief. Yeah, I, that's, that's not a good thing to brag about. I mean, I don't. Yeah, know. and and, and, and also by the way, it, them losing a bunch of one on one matchups doesn't necessarily make me feel better. Correct about that situation. You know, and you take the Joe Mixon 31 yard run out of the mix. He carried 26 times for a 1.9 average on his other 26 carries. That's yeah, not, not good, good either. And you can say, well, we're a tick off here and a tick off there. I, I'm, I get that's the one thing I get tired of hearing that. I, I've heard that for three or four years with 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 this group of coaches. You, you know, for whatever reason, maybe maybe you need new offensive line coach. Maybe you just need guys to be better. I, I'm just sick of hearing that. And again, maybe I'm overreacting to one game in against a very good front that. Listen, you. If you are a tick off, just a tick off, you're not going to win against that front. I, I maybe get that, but again, don't tell me. Oh, you know, they only get three or four sacks. We want a full season, man. That's fifty-one. That's what he got last year. We don't need fifty-one again. Anything else about this matchup that stands out to you with the Cowboys? No, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see um, what Trayvon Diggs does if, if he covers Jamar Chase. Because he loves to jump routes, and Chase is so good with the little subtle double moves. 
I got a feeling they hit him for at least one, as long as the protection holds up. At least one, because he loves to jump him some routes, and I think you can make him pay for it. There you go. You heard it. Anytime touchdown score, Jamar Chase, prop bet. Put it on your your ticket this weekend. Exactly. All right, let's switch gears here to college football, Skinny. Uh, From a national perspective, it was a wild week in the college football world. Three top 10 teams lost in Texas A&M, Notre Dame, and Baylor. Alabama also barely beat Texas by a point. Let me ask you this to start. What does this 0-2 start mean for Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame? Uh, That the heat is is, going to be on very quickly. Um, Listen, I think everybody accepted the loss at at Ohio State. And in fact, I think we talked last week. I thought that was really encouraging for Notre Dame and a little discouraging for Ohio State that the game was as tight as it was. And so then you come home for your opener playing Marshall. And now, listen, Marshall has a bunch of transfers. Um, You know, they got some like high major transfers. So they've got some dudes. Yeah, they're going. They're doing the Nevada Muscleman route here. It looks yes, like. no, right, right. I think they had you know seven, um, seven Power Five transfers, maybe eight in the starting lineup. Now you could argue that those guys, you know, why did they transfer to a Marshall? Maybe it signifies they're not good. Well, obviously they were good enough to get recruited by those schools, so they must be good enough, you know, players. And they and I think they proved it. And that was the thing. If you watched the game, and I watched a good chunk of it, Rick, I had to leave in the fourth quarter. Um, but if you watched a chunk of that game. Honestly, Marshall was the better team, and that's scary. That is scary. I, the offense for Notre Dame is it's a trash. The line yeah. stinks, and Tyler Buckner wasn't the guy. He's out now with a shoulder injury after that game, but he wasn't the guy. He wasn't going to get done. But now I'm almost even more concerned for their offense because Drew Pine can't even run. No. At least Buckner could run. So now it's like if that offensive line is going to be as bad as it's been and you've got an immobile quarterback back there and Drew Pine – I don't know how things necessarily get better. Yeah, and I think when they put the schedule together, good for them. And you're thinking, all right, we're going to go to Ohio State. That's going to be a a, a really tough game. Let's make sure we have a soft landing spot. And they thought they did, and they didn't. It's embarrassing. No, they didn't. And looking at what they've got coming up here, they've got North Carolina, or they've got California this weekend and then North Carolina next weekend. So you'd like to think they could get a win or two here, but nothing guaranteed in those two games. You know, I did see – I think things are going so poorly. Marcus Freeman just joined the Catholic Church, I saw. that was, <laughs> that was Seriously, that was announced this week. So, um, not not for great. some divine intervention, man. Yeah, well, uh, at least just a little leeway with the big donors, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's funny. It went from, oh, things look great after that Ohio State game. They hung with them. They covered the spread. Everything is good. We've got Lou Holtz back. We've got a coach that's playing to cover spreads again. Like, they punted at the end of the game to make sure they covered and all that. I think everyone in Notre Dame land felt pretty good about it. And now, all of a sudden, you drop this Marshall game. Everyone's going, oh, he's 0-3 to start his career if you go back to right. last year. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's, 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 not just the only, yeah, it's not just the 0-2 this year. It's the... It's the 0-3 narrative, and that that starts to build a little bit. And listen, man, there's already pressure in that job to begin with, let alone starting 0-2, and especially I, let alone losing to Marshall at home. What happens if they lose to California this week? I mean, are we – I don't is, think is, they do. I think, super ugly for Marcus Oh, Freeman? my Lord, it's going to get completely ugly because Cal is tra- – I'm serious. If they lose to Cal, they, they may not win more than three games, if the, if that. I, I, this is there's crazy. no way they lose to Cal. There's no way. It's crazy, and he won't be fired this season at all. That's not going to happen. No, but nor should it. But if he loses this game to Cal, you almost feel like it's a hole that you're not sure if he can climb out of long term. No, like people I, are just going to no, be I, convinced he's not the guy already. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, it, it felt like it felt like right place, right time for him to be the head coach. 
you know, there was a narrative in Cincinnati that if Luke Fickle left, Marcus Freeman was the guy, and he, he probably was, and he probably should have been or should be. Um, you know, but right or wrong, while UC's program is in a better spot football field-wise, um, you know, the fact that, you know, he was kind of right place, right time for Notre Dame without them doing a search, a national search, probably yeah. leaves people a little squeamish, right? Well, I mean, people were falling all over themselves to anoint the guy after his, well, his I, introduction I, to listen, the team. Listen, I thought it was and... a good hire. I, I think a lot of Marcus Freeman. I, I know our friend Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal thinks a lot of Marcus. I know those people around the UC program think a lot of Marcus. But sometimes right place, right time, where Brian Kelly leaves, he's kind of the up-and-coming guy. He's being talked about for other head coaching jobs. Let's not let him go. Does that make him right place, right time for Notre Dame? Blue blood of blue bloods. Right. And again, I mean, there's – he gave he said all the right things he gave you every reason to be optimistic about Players the hire him. but uh, i mean people are so quick after a hire is made to anoint a guy for quote unquote winning the press conference and no, doing right. all those small things it's it's great and and by the way i'm not saying it's the wrong hire just because he's 0 and 2 to start i don't either i'm with you right he, he might right. be fine but it's just funny to see the narrative change so fast from Notre Dame people and others who are covering the sport because they, they couldn't get enough of this guy two months ago and how great of a job he was going to do. And now they're just trying to beat Cal this week to stave off a, a free fall. And by the way, I think uh, Notre Dame in a money line parlay is like a, a no doubt move. They've got to win this game. So Correct. I, I feel Correct. like that's a, a great play. I had them on my card in a parlay. Well, this well week, the, the, the guy you can maybe point the finger at too, because it was the whole, it'll be great because Marcus is a defensive guy and he's got head coach. You, you feel, and then we'll, we'll keep Tommy Reese's yeah. offensive coordinator. He won't leave. Well, his offense sucks. Yeah, and then that might be the guy who's going to be looking for a new job soon this season. Because if it, if they lose another one here soon in short order, people are going to start banging their fists and demanding change. And that's the guy you point at first, I think. And yes. I mean, Marcus Freeman's going to have to do something to save himself. I think Tommy Reese getting the axe is probably the first move you make. Yeah, his uh, his offense stinks. The big story from college football locally was Kentucky's 26-16 win at Florida. You oh, yeah. nailed this game. We talked about it last week. The Cats got the best of Florida's quarterback, Anthony Richardson, who was receiving a lot of hype after his play in week one. UK is now ranked number nine in the AP poll, Skinny. Uh, Florida was probably getting a little too much buzz following that win over Utah, but what did this game say about Kentucky? They didn't even play their A game, in my opinion, in one, Rick. Agreed. You know, they, the first half, they couldn't run it. Now, they did find the second half, and, and that's what you got to hope moving forward is really what's going to help this team continue to win a lot of games moving forward is they found something in the run game, and and maybe that offensive line started to gel in the second half. But the thing that I come away with, and, I, and this is I believe this since the season started, this defense is elite. As long as it doesn't suffer multiple injuries, they're deep and elite. They're not just, you know, hey, they got 11 really good guys, and if they don't get hurt, no, they've got about 16 to 18 really good guys at all levels. And I think this defense is elite. You couple that with a quarterback who can continue to make enough plays and will continue to make plays, and then if you start to run it the way they ran it the second half, this team's going to be hard to beat. Well, and they've been fun to watch so far. And they're only going to get better because the two things we know is that, well, one just got announced. Chris Rodriguez is going to be back October 1st. So they're going to get their top running back yep. back in the mix, which will definitely help them. The second thing is that they've got a lot of young guys out there. They're going to get better. They're not going to get worse. This thing's going to continue to gel. You're going to see some of those depth pieces fill in nicely. Skinny, I think this team has a chance to be a serious 
competitor in the SEC or by the end of the year. And I mean, I know Georgia is still looking a lot more impressive than UK is, but that game doesn't come for a long time. No, it comes next to last game of the season. So they still have to go to Old Miss, which is ranked. That's going to be a tough game. Tough game. Um, they still have to go to Tennessee, and that's going to be a tough game because Tennessee can score points, and they'll score on Kentucky. They they piled a bunch on last year and, and ended up beating them in Lexington. But if you can get through those, and I guess you could argue Mississippi State in the mix there somewhere, but I think they come to Commonwealth, and I I still feel good enough about that game. If you go into Georgia 10-0 and and Georgia comes to Kroger Field, if that's the case, um, you're playing A for a spot in the college football playoff. And then let me bring this scenario up. Let's say you lose to Georgia on a last-second field goal, then beat Louisville in the last game, and you sit there at eleven and one. And let's just say that 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 Bama loses along the way because they certainly look vulnerable enough, right, to lose along somewhere along the way. I don't think they do because they're just too good, and this was their scare, and it was on the road, and all those things. But let's say they do, but they still win the SEC West, and they go play Georgia in the SEC championship game, and Georgia beats them, and it's one loss Kentucky with a close loss to Georgia or two-loss Alabama. And the rest of the field, other than Ohio State across the board, looks like trash to me. Could Kentucky sneak in with that one loss? That's a good question. I know I'm jumping the gun because we're not talking to – they don't play till November, bro, but yeah, I got a dare to dream, don't I? You, you do. I mean, especially after what they just looked like at Florida. That's, that's the thing. It's at Florida, which those two teams have, have kind of been trading those performances off the, the home-and-home. But to go to Florida and play like that, it's impressive, especially after Florida was receiving all that hype. It's going right. to get some national attention. It Which, definitely and I will UK. say this, as much as I thought that was a great win for Kentucky, I still wasn't overly hyped with Florida. I, you you know, know, for them to yeah. jump up to 12 just made me scratch my head. Well, and, and, and Anthony Richardson, as dynamic as he looked in that first game against Utah, you were right about the, the fact that if you make him a pocket passer, he's not – the, the same type of guy that he looked like late in that game against Utah. And that proved to be the case. Every time that he set his feet and looked to throw against Kentucky, one, the secondary was outstanding yes. for Kentucky. And two, he was sailing the ball high all over the place. He was not accurate at all. The one thing I couldn't understand is if you're Florida, why the hell are you not calling more designed runs for him? Exactly. That's the part that surprised I, uh, me. Too. That's where he's most dangerous. I mean, he's a 240 pound, six foot four athlete. That can run like crazy. I mean, why would you not use that as a weapon? And they just never, they seemed content to to take what UK was giving them and didn't really force that issue at all. Yeah, I mean, think about how inaccurate. He was 14 of 35, oh. which back in the 1960s and 70s, there were plenty of quarterbacks that were 14 of 35. Today's today's average quarterback is, is in the college ranks is high 50%, low 60%. The elite guys get up in the high 60s to, to 70-ish. You know, we saw Joe Burrow in the NFL last year complete 70% of his passes. That's what people do nowadays. It is literally, it's so hard to cover that, and these guys are so active. 14 of 35 is like high school bad. Yeah, and it even looked worse than that at times right. because there were moments where there was a, an opening for him to throw the ball to, and he sailed it over a guy by, you know, five to 10 yards. It's like, you're throwing balls like that over the middle. That's just asking to be picked off. Correct. You know, he got lucky that not a lot of them were to anybody. They were falling to the turf, but uh, he did not look good. And the other thing for Kentucky that I was impressed by was we talked a lot about Tavion Robinson la- after last week. He did so well in week one. He didn't do anything in this game. Right. One and yet catch, they, I think. Didn't, they didn't really miss a beat. They've got some serious talent at that wide receiver spot. And it's young guys other than him. 
Yeah, I mean, true freshman catches a, a long touchdown pass. I mean, they've got they've got some burners out there, and and I, again, I. I I don't want to downplay the Kentucky win because it's still as a, as a, as I've mentioned on this podcast a thousand times, it's literally the only team I, I actually root for is Kentucky football as a graduate. I don't root much for Kentucky basketball for some reason, as you know, but um, I don't want to downplay the win because it was special and it was great. And it sets them up for something maybe special happening this season. But I just go back to going, Florida was just so overhyped off that Utah win. It, it, it was crazy how overhyped they were. And Anthony Richardson was. I I think that's right. Uh, before we move on here, do you have anything else? Uh, Cincinnati obviously gets a blowout win over Kennesaw State. We did get to see some Evan Prater late in the second half. He looked great, but Ben Bryant looked great before that too against starters. So yeah, I'm not the, sure that the, there was much to take from that. Yeah, the, the, the thing for UC was, I mentioned last week, I, I thought Ben Bryant was great in the second half of the Arkansas game. He needed to do this against Kennesaw to kind of vault himself forward. I think he did. But I think it also gave you a chance, to, as we mentioned, to give Evan Prater some snaps and not just run it, although he did run a 44-yard touchdown. You know, he threw it pretty well, so it now gives you a little confidence of, A, if Ben has an off game, off quarter, off half, or Ben gets hurt, that you feel a little bit better about that situation. And, and you know, it, it's funny. Arkansas moved up to – because Kentucky, as you mentioned, moved up to ninth. Arkansas moved up to 10th. I'm a little surprised that since I didn't get back into the rankings, and I know they just only beat Kennesaw, but if you think Arkansas is the 10th ranked team in this country and Cincinnati, I think, was the better team yeah, on that they had, day. They, they should have won that game. Right. You can't put them in the rank. See, that that's that was what tells me sometimes that voters just they really don't get it. They oh, just they definitely don't. don't. It, it's it's name recognition only is what it is. There are a couple guys that had Wisconsin still on their ballot. This They're week. trash. Oh, they my are God. Trash. Have you seen what they've done? Yes. I mean, it's just been an absolute joke so so far. They lost to Washington State seventeen to fourteen at home. So, yeah, again, like I said, if you think Arkansas is the tenth ranked team in this country, and they might be, and that's fine. That part, then then Cincinnati is definitively a top twenty team, not only a top twenty five team. Well, and and that that's part of it. You look at Kentucky last week against Miami of Ohio. They were a sixteen point favorite, I think, or sixteen and a half, something like that. Yeah, yeah. You look at Cincinnati this week; they're twenty two point favorite. So they've got right, right. Cincinnati. No, right. As, as more of a favorite over Miami of Ohio. That's right. Unranked, right. but Kentucky's a top 10 team in the country. Uh, they were only favored by a couple touchdowns and a field goal. So, I, I yeah, I, I don't get the, the ranking and, at all, but I never do. And, and technically, Rick, the UC, which we'll get to in our betting segment, technically the UC-Miami game is on a neutral field at Paycor Stadium. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, Ohio State beat Arkansas State 45-12 to 12 this past week. Again, not much to take from there. I think Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. had three touchdowns, but yeah. But you know what? I, I'm one that said this Ohio State offense should score 50 points a week, and I I still believe that they just they don't seem to be clicking the way I thought they would. They haven't yet. I mean, they didn't cover in this game, much to my chagrin. But mine too. Yeah, they they have not looked like the offensive juggernaut that we expected. Marvin Harrison Jr. breaking out was good because uh, those receivers didn't look great against Notre Dame overall. But yeah, it's not it's not what we've come to expect from this Ohio State offense. All right, one more th- topic here before we get to our betting picks, Skinny. CBS Sports does a series it calls Candid Coaches, where it anonymously pulls 100 basketball coaches on different questions about the sport. This week's question was, more than one year in, is name, image, and likeness helping or hurting college athletics? What do you think the percentages were, yes to no's, from 100 college basketball coaches? Uh, from hurt, I'm going to say that 85% said it's hurting. So it was 61% hurting, 39% helping. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. What What is your take on that? Do you think NIL is helping or hurting a year into this? Um, I I think it's 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 both. Um, I I think it is helping enough to where, and I think the long term ramifications of this, especially in basketball, we've talked about this, is I do think it's going to keep the the tweener NBA guy in college longer, which is going to be good for college basketball. It's going to keep. I mean. Listen, Oscar Shibway could have come out. I think you and I both agree that he'd probably find his way onto an NBA roster, but, um, you know, he'd probably be on and off in G League and, you know, 10-day contract guy, all those things. Maybe not. Maybe he'd stick. But, again, it's it's probably not going to be a long-term thing for him in the league. I hope it is. I hope he proves us wrong. But I think you and I kind of agree on that. Uh, but best the fact case is he's like a journeyman bench type of yes. guy, I would think. And I think you'd agree with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that NIL money was enough to, I think, keep him in college, I think is a, it's a great thing for Kentucky, eh? but I think it's a great thing in college basketball that you kept an elite player in. So I think it helps that way. I think the way it hurts is it, it, it just it makes it so wild westy for these coaches and these compliance departments. And that's what Chris Rodriguez, everybody thinks Chris Rodriguez is dealing with that DUI situation in Kentucky. No, he's dealing with an NIL issue where he didn't go to compliance. Um, you know, the DUI was one thing. I think they took care of that with running steps. Which again, we could argue whether that that was enough punishment or not. But really, what he's dealing with is is nil, and so I think it's just become so wild westy that the cat is so far out of the bag. I don't know how it goes back in. So I think as a coach, as much as coaches are control freaks, I think they can't grasp their head around what can I do, what can't I do? Um, is this guy going to get a better offer from this school because I can't afford that, or my boosters can't afford that, and we can't make it work? I, I get that, that that's where they think it's hurting and it probably is. So I'm I'm kind of wishy-washy on it because I, I I do think it's going to keep these tweener players in college longer, which is going to make college basketball better. Yeah, specifically the big man. It's bringing right. back the big man in college right. basketball because there's really not a spot for him in the NBA anymore. So if you're going to be a star and you're going to be like Armando Baycott from North Carolina and make over $500,000 or Oscar Shibway and make you know over a million dollars this year for Kentucky – then it's a hell of a deal for you to stay in college, right. live that life where you don't have much responsibility at this point, and you are able to make some great money, risk-free, essentially. I, in that regard, I think it's good for the sport. And overall, I think people are looking at it the wrong way to say, is it helping or hurting? I think in some regards, it's it's not either. It's it's just a new way of doing things with right. the sport. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just kind of a new part of the deal that you have to navigate I think one thing that coaches are really bothered by is they don't see how it's sustainable with no guardrails in place, meaning. And I'm in that and I'm in that camp. I'm in that camp, too, because I it, again, I go I use the term Wild West and that's kind of what it is. There are no guardrails in place right now. Yeah. And I think they see, you know, some schools offering several million dollars to the future quarterbacks. And, and it's not technically the schools. It's some rogue donor that says, I, I want us to be good if I'm at Miami and I'm going to give. 7 million to this quarterback for an NIL deal or whatever. And that is an issue to some extent, I guess. And it does make it tough to compete with, but I also think you're going to see some market correction on that stuff. I think one, if schools are smart, it will become more merit-based. The guys who are in your program and prove it for at least a year or so, will start getting the bigger deals as opposed but, but, but to can trying the to schools, do it. But the schools really can't. They, in theory, they can control that, but they also can't. can't. Technically, they can't, but we're, we're already seeing 
I mean, we're you know we we saw Jimbo Fisher on uh, on a recruiting trip. He's a good by the way. He's a good coach. Yeah, I mean, or not. Actually, I shouldn't say Jimbo Fisher. It was his uh, assistants. And with all that money that they're spending on recruits, they still can't, you know, beat App State. Beat App State, but at home. But yeah, no, I, I think coaches are complaining about pay for play. That was always going to be the case. And guess what? It was already the case before this. The only difference now is everyone has a similar set of rules. And I say similar because. You're right. It is the Wild West. You've got compliance departments that are interpreting everything differently. Certain schools are like, well, we're not allowed to do that. And other schools are like, screw it. There's no teeth to any of the the laws or bylaws that are in place here. We're just going to do whatever we want. So there is some of that going on. And I don't know that there's much you can do about it right now. But I, I just I don't think it's a real issue for the sport. I think there are coaches who are uncomfortable because they have to navigate a new way of doing things and they're stuck in their ways. And that's the people who are complaining the most. So, if, so did you think the, per, did you think the percentage was, was, was that higher than what you thought it would be? Or you think it was lower that those that said the 61% that said it's hurting. I said 80 something percent. I thought, I, I thought most coaches would, would hate it. I would have guessed 70, 30. So okay. I, I okay. so not that far off, I guess. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. I think even some of the coaches that are saying it's helping, they're doing, even though they're doing this anonymously, they still are in their recruiting mindset and they feel like they have to say that. You know what I mean? Like coach, there's a certain set of coaches that want to be the I'm for the player type of guy. So they've all along been saying like the player should get paid. We should do this. We should do that. There, there are coaches that try to position themselves that way from a recruiting perspective. So I think a lot of that is, is the people answering that it's helping well, in this case. I think all of the coaches feel like it's hard to navigate right now. Yeah, like I like phony Jim Harbaugh that says the players should get some of this TV yeah. money that's coming in. Well, you know what, Cat? How about you take some of your salary then and give it to the players? Well, and that's the – Because that, that TV money's paying you, Chief. Come on, phony Jim Harbaugh. Wake right. up. And I think I think to his point that that is what he was asking for is that administrators and coaches make less money off of. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was trying to say, I'm for the players. Well, if you're for the players, then how about you take two of your mill and you donate it out to the players, buddy? Uh, well, I think he's going to point to the university presidents first and, and tell them to take a little bit less and then it'll be a trickle down. But I, I, look, I think that needs to happen, quite honestly, if they're going to continue to take. But but again, this money right now, the players aren't pulling from the school's from money. From the university, no, they are. Or, no, right. or the That's conference right. payouts money. It's all yeah. coming from outside donors and, and NIL collectives and all of that. So, again, I, I would like it if it became more merit-based. I'm sure it won't because there's going to be so much money flowing into the sport. And, again, the schools aren't the one paying, but when there's that much money coming into the sport, there's going to be people paying a lot of money to win. See, and, I'm, I'm of the I'm of the oak though that that eventually that dries up. I'm, I I really believe that. I think there will be a market correction to some extent. Like I, the Quinn Ewers situation is a perfect example. Right. A guy that's going to get paid millions of dollars to go hurt. to Ohio State and never play a snap there, and then he goes to Texas and now he's hurt. The Texas stuff, you know, him getting hurt, I don't think is going to bother people. But him going to Ohio State, getting all that money to be a Buckeye and and that type of stuff, and then never playing there, that's going to get annoying to donors and people that are shelling out that money to recruits that don't play a snap or that ride the bench that never pan out. So I think they're good for the recruits for taking those jock stiffers and shoving it up their ass. 100%. They should absolutely do that. But I, I would hope that some of the donors are going to wise up and quit. Yes. Doing that no, I as think much. you're right. But yes. again, and that's why I, I think it goes back to, it goes back to your point of merit based. You know, I need to see a guy play for a year or two and then, Oh, okay. Yeah. He's really popular and really good. Now I'll pay him. Yeah, you'd like to think that will happen. I think it will to some extent, but again, I don't know how much just because there's always going to be someone that wants to win 
more than the next team, and they're going to be willing to pay a recruit sight unseen. So, right, we'll see. Uh, all right, let's get into some betting picks. Last week, I was four and four. You had a great week. You were six and two. That brings us to eight and six overall for me and seven and seven overall for you. And we'll start this week, Saturday at noon. It's the Cincinnati Miami of Ohio game at Paycor Stadium. Cincinnati is a 22 point favorite. The total is uh, 51. Yeah, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go UC 41 13. So UC in the <laughs> over for me. Yeah, we're right. I on think UC is really good. I've said this. I, I think they're really good. I think they're pretty darn good too. Uh, I'm. I had forty two thirteen. So we're right on there. Both of us on UC and the over. Saturday at noon, we've got Youngstown State at Kentucky. Kentucky is a twenty five and a half point favorite. The total is fifty one and a half. Yeah, that feels really low to me. I'm going to go Kentucky forty nine to ten. Again, right on. I am uh, 45 to 10 on this one. So we are both on Kentucky and the over. The over for points there feels really low. It feels like Kentucky might score that themselves. There's a part of me that thinks Kentucky gets close to that by itself. They're going to put subs in, obviously, in the second half because they've got two really kind of subby games here in a row with with Youngstown State and Northern Illinois, and then they go to Ole Miss. You're you're not risking injury. So Youngstown's going to score, I think, at least 10. They might even get another touchdown because it's subs. Yeah, that, that 51 total seems really, really low to me. Yeah, and Youngstown State isn't good by any stretch of the imagination, but they scored 49 points against Dayton in week one. They or, uh, it, Last week, and in week one, they scored 31 points against Duquesne. So they have at least put up some points. Well, shout out to Duquesne. Wait a minute, so they only put 31 up on Duquesne? Duquesne, yeah, they beat them 31-14. You know do you know who Duquesne played last week? Uh, and, and I, I think they not. only scored 31 in this game. I think they won 31-4, I think. They played Thomas Moore. That's right, thirty-four, fourteen. Yeah. Okay. Wow, look at that. Yeah, I. That's All right. impressive. So let's go. Let's go, Kentucky. Let's go, Kentucky. Fifty-two to ten. <laughs> right. Kentucky gets Added the over a field by goal themselves. There. Kentucky field gets goal. the over by themselves. I like that. So Kentucky team over there. If you can find that prop, is going to be yes. a, a nice yes. play. Saturday at seven p.m. We've got Toledo at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are thirty-two point favorite. The total is sixty-two. Toledo might be the best team in the MAC, and the way Ohio State's playing, this just that thirty-two number is a big one to me. I I want to love Ohio State because I think they're really good, but they just they they haven't shown me yet. All right, I'm gonna go. I'll go Ohio State forty-five twenty-one. So that's Toledo and the over. Yep, that's sixty-six. So you've got Toledo and the over. Here's the thing that sucks. I've been I've actually bet ohio state twice i have two and now, I'm, now now i'm fading them and i'm gonna regret it i know i am right this is gonna be the week that they cover of course after they they cost us both in week one and week two i'm gonna go 45 14 so i'm on toledo as well but i'm on the under here so we'll, we'll see what happens i have a feeling both of us are going to come back next week with a, a loss on ohio state and they'll cover i think we week. probably i think we probably are too but Hey, I could also argue, though, Toledo might be the best team they've played so far. I mean, Notre Dame's probably better than Toledo. Mm. But... Are they? Are they? <laughs> I mean, I, are they? I, I think. I think okay. they are. Okay. Come so, talk to me in four or five weeks and let's see where we're at. All right. <laughs> Sunday at 425, we've got the Bengals at the Cowboys. Cincinnati is a seven and a half point favorite. The total is 41 and a half. Yeah, this just smells like a crazy cowboy cover because they're at home. They're desperate. You know, 
go look at Cooper Rush's start against Minnesota. It was actually pretty good. Um, but I think the Bengals are also desperate. I think they're clearly the better team roster-wise. Um, I, 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 I don't like them to cover this. I certainly like them to win it outright. I'll go Bengals 23-17. So Cowboys to cover the 7.5 and, and the under. All right, Cowboys and under. We're on totally opposite sides here. I'm going Bengals and over. I'm just going to say Bengals 31, Cowboys 20. Definitely a homer pick here, but after watching the Bengals do what they did last week with five turnovers and still be in position to win that game, I just can't get that out. Like I, no, I feel you're right. almost more confident by that than I do the fact that they lost, if I'm being I, honest. And I, I think you're playing a pretty good defense here on the road, and I just think that it doesn't – I think they're going to have to end up slogging this one out, to be quite frank. Uh, that that could be the case, but I mean, we we will we will see what happens in this one. I actually I know that's a good defense, but I actually my favorite bet of this week, and actually the the bet I'll give out now here for our our side play is the Bengals team over of twenty four and a half. Oh wow! The Bengals put up twenty points last week, and they did so with four interceptions from Joe Burrow, a fumble getting an extra point block, and having Evan McPherson miss a field goal. They also scored those points, and they also scored 20 points in 94 plays. You, you need to score more than that if you're running 90-some-odd plays. Well, I totally agree, but I just named off all the reasons why they didn't score more points. I I, I almost feel like this team is a lock to average 24 this year. Oh, agree. I agree with you. I, I, I mean... But I also need to see this offensive line a little bit more before I start to believe that this offense is going to click the way I think it can click. Fair enough. I don't. That's the thing. I, they didn't click at all last week, and they put up twenty points against a defense that everyone is hailing as the best in the NFL, or at least the best front line. Yeah, you're so right. I'm like, if they put up twenty points with all those things going wrong against an elite defense like that, and a team that's going to offer them as much problems as one really can because of the way that front line is and TJ Watt no, and the way the Bengals no, right. struggle on the offensive line. I just feel like at 20 points is almost the minimum for them. I, it's it's going to be hard for them to score less than that due to Burrow, Chase, Mixon, and then McPherson being in the mix as well. So I'm going over 24 and a half Bengals team over as my other play of the week. What do you like? Yeah. So last week I was, questioning how in the world are the Arizona Cardinals an underdog as you know as big as they were against Kansas City so I was completely completely wrong there this week I'm going to go to Cleveland they're a six and a half point home favorite over the Jets and this is more that the Jets are trash than I think great things about Cleveland Cleveland got a really nice win at Carolina um you know that 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 was a good win for them and and as much as I, I I picked them to finish last in the AFC North because of no Deshaun Watson and all the things going on there it is a pretty good roster otherwise the Jets are trash, yep. trash, and they're only a six-and-a-half-point home favorite. Give me the Browns, as goofy as that sounds. Cleveland minus six-and-a-half. I love yep. it. I actually uh, I was over in Indiana yesterday, and I that was one of the plays that I had. I'm kind of on auto-fade the Jets just in general, yes, I think, right. this year. Right. And I, Cleveland looked great last week, so why not? All right, ask any anything. We'll start off with, would Skinny prefer to coach college basketball or the NBA? Oh, college basketball. Although NBA, the thing about the NBA is it's such a player's league, and and me not being a former player, um, I think it would be hard to garner respect. College college bothers me because I just, I think recruiting would bug me after a while, Chief. As much as I've told you before, if I had a career choice to do over again, I truly think I would have uh, gone into 
being a student manager into a GA somewhere and gone into college coaching for a living. Um, so I have to you say college, that's, that's honestly what I probably, if I had to choose my career path again, would have done. Uh, you know, the NBA would be fun only because you are literally coaching. I mean, you're, 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 you know, I, I'm a big, I love practices. That's a problem too in the NBA. You don't really practice a lot either. I love practicing these guys. You know, they, they're so skilled that, um, you know, practices do mean something. You have to have them and you have to, to get stuff in and you have to develop certain guys. But yeah, I, I'd go far more college than NBA. What about you? I think you'd probably be more NBA, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause college fans, want you to get up and scream and act like a madman or they think you're not coaching hard in the NBA. You can just be a normal human being. And let I say you, you can't play. do that in the NBA. Yeah. It, you look like an idiot, which is exactly how you actually look in college too. But fans have come to accept it and think it's like a good thing. And it makes, it means you're coaching harder. So I would, I would get a, totally annoyed by that. And also recruiting would suck. You would hate recruiting by the way. Oh, I know You'd, that. Trust me. Yeah. That's what I said. I, I would hate it. I know I would. Yeah. You, you would need to be a head coach because you as an assistant coach would be, a disaster with uh, your whole your whole life being based on 17 year olds changing their minds every other day. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think plus college would be more fun from the aspect of there's more varied styles. Yes, yes. So, I mean, you know, you, and, and honestly, that's that's where I, I, I liked pre shot clock because there was even more varied styles to that. Well, I don't know if four corners is actually a style of play. There, skinny. I didn't say I would go four corners. I just like varied styles. And if you want to go to four corners with a 10 point lead and four minutes to go, so be it. Don't don't get don't don't be down by ten. Sometimes I don't know how we get along at all. If uh, <laughs> if, if someone challenged you, you didn't watch the greatness of the heydays of the four corners, Rick. That's the problem. <laughs> that's yeah. That really is the issue. There was I didn't get to see the entertainment value of the four corners. Offense Honestly, when we're when we're done with this podcast, go to YouTube and type in Phil Ford four corners and watch that cat run it. Skinny, absolutely not. No, no, go watch it. It's a thing of beauty. It really is because they score out of it. I'd rather watch ISIS beheadings after we get done with this podcast than watch the watch them score out of it. That's the thing that's the thing of beauty from it. Watch them score out of that thing. A whole six points in a regulation game. That would be fun. Again, just 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 do me this little favor. I don't ask much of you, Rick, but do me this little favor. We're done. Go to YouTube. Phil Ford, four corners. It's all I'm asking. Is there any? You can you can text me and give me your honest opinion. You can go. You're an idiot, or you go. Hey, that was actually pretty cool to see. Uh, are there any charge drills you'd like me to look up on YouTube? Nope. I'm okay. not even asking you to do that. I'm just asking you to go fill Ford four corners. All right. Well, that's that's a real punishment. I'll tell you what, those of you that are listening, if you do that and, and you want to you want to tweet at me and tell me that I'm an idiot or you're like, that was pretty cool to watch. You can do either one of them. I, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm an idiot things. I'm good. Only- I, I'll, I'll own my idiocy. It's the only thing people can get you to reply to on Twitter is some four corners offense. Right, correct. Yeah. Correct. All right. If if someone challenged you to a one on one match for ten thousand dollars, skinny, and you could pick any sport you want, hobby sports, golf, bowling, billiards, darts, et cetera, count two. What would you choose? I think I choose bowling. Really? That, that was probably my best sport growing up. Believe it. Really? Uh huh. What what would what would you bowl right now if you went out and bowled? I'd be disappointed if I didn't didn't break one ninety. I I haven't really? bowled in probably ten or fifteen years. You like you would think you would be a 190 average right now if you walked out there, dude. When I when I last bowled, I was a 198. One year I, I was like, I mean, that's, that's good. That's really yeah, good. I know. Okay. All right, all right. I mean, you, I mean, when's the last time you bowled regularly? Oh, dude, it, it was. It's been. Ooh, I was gonna say 50. It might be 20 years, probably. Um, we were in a league when I worked at Turfway. It's probably 20 years. We were in a league down at uh, oh, what was that place in Covington that had the bowling alley right off the interstate? 
Oh, uh, by you're talking about by Cassidy's used to be by by Notre Dame there. No, 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 uh, no. It was it was um. Oh my goodness gracious! It was off of 12th Street or Fifth Street. It you're was not talking up. Jillian's, are you? Thank you. Yes, Jillian. Oh, okay. We were in a league down there, and and there was really no shot. It was really dry. Yeah, that wasn't but, even a real bowling alley. No, correct. But me and me and me and another guy were were kind of we we he bowled growing up too, and so it was such a free for all. So you'd bowl these two games, and the last game was called free for all where you just rolled it as much as you could. He and I literally, we we won us, I think, 500 bucks a piece as, a team, as our turf league team because we would just take everybody's turn. we just go up there and just fire it down there and 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 get a bunch of pins for us, and we ended up winning a pretty good piece of change off of that league. Wait, what does that mean? So you just like, as you have a set time amount, and you have to get as many pins in a time yes, amount? Or? Yeah, yeah. So okay. you'd bowl two regular games, and those would count, and there was like a free-for-all period where you like had whatever number of times. You were supposed to bowl as a team like, Player one would bowl, then right. player two. We just said, "Get the hell out of the way. We're going to do it. We're going to do everybody's." Wow. Yeah, that's that's so. It wasn't a baker. It wasn't like you didn't go frame by frame. You just kept bowling until they said time was up. No, I like bakers though. Yeah, correct. So it probably was supposed to be a baker, but they didn't. They didn't announce us as such, so we didn't play it as such. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it sounds like we might need to get a ask, or a, yeah, an ask any anything bowling event on maybe. The books. That would, maybe. Yeah. I I can't. I can't beat a 190 on on average, but I, I can hang. I think so. All right, you're asked to produce a hidden camera TV show where you have to create the most chaotic dinner party possible with three people. Which three people would you choose? Examples could be Vontez, Perfect, Eminem, and Obama, or Broaring and the Cronin Brothers. Oh, oh, I would love a Broaring and the and the Cronin Brothers. Because I could be a great instigator in that one. That would be an interesting. It, it would need to be like uh, unpractical jokers, where you've got an earpiece in and you're just able to like send send waiters in and staff in to ruin stuff. Like go uh, go spill a wine on Mick's lap right now. Make a booster say, seat. I would say a, a Vontez Perfect, Pac Man Jones, Terrell Pryor would be kind of fun. Oh God! Well, I mean that would just be a mugging, wouldn't it? They just Correct. rob Terrell Pryor and then leave. Garbage. Uh, by the way, Pac-Man's doing some type of podcast now. He is. It? Yes, With he Solomon is. Solomon Wilcox, is that right? I told you, I've, I've seen Pac. He's been in the locker room a couple of times. In fact, we were sharing, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, we shared the, he, the garbage. We were, sitting around <laughs> a circle, we were sharing the story of the of the, of the garbage. He he was, he couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine his podcast, I got I, I got to listen to it. I haven't sure seen it yet, but I imagine it's entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I he's agree. not one who's going to hold back. I would actually yeah. like to see what he says about like coaching decisions and things like that. So, uh, oh, no, he told, he told the story. It's great. He, he was telling the story because, um, oh, what game was it? We're, he, talking about uh, uh, a punt returner, uh, you know, jumping on the field when they shouldn't because they're, you know, they they kind of usurped their coach. And he said, "Yeah." He goes, "I did that to Marv one time." He said, "I wasn't, you know, I was hurting. I was coming off an injury." He said, "Because he did this once against Carolina. Remember the game where they tied Carolina and Cam Newton a few years ago?" Yeah. Yep. So that was a devastating game. game. Yeah, late in the game, he told Darren Simmons, I'm going to return to kickoff. And, and Darren said, no, 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 you just play defense. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go return to kickoff. And he ran out there and told the kickoff returner, get off. And Pack returned it down to like the one-yard line that, that gave the Bengals the lead at the time. It was not a touchdown, but it was uh, it was the year that Pack led the, the NFL in, 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 uh, in kickoff and punt returns both, uh, which tells you, again, how special of an athlete he was. So then he say, we said, did you ever do that another time? He goes, yeah. He said, one year uh, in Seattle, I did that. He said, I was coming off an injury, and Marvin said, hey, just, you know, I'm going to ease you back in. He goes, but I just got too damn competitive. So he goes, late in the game, I, I go running out there, tell the punt returner, get off. I'm going to return this punt. And he goes, then I end up fumbling away, and, and Marvin didn't forgive me for that. 
uh, that Carolina game that ended in a tie, didn't Marvin do something that was just incredibly infuriating? Like he didn't go for it on fourth and inches or something. Yeah, and they there was, there was something like that. that. Yeah, there was because something like that. I remember it was this day of a Xavier game and Chris Mack was the coach at the time. Big Bengals fan. Yeah, right. Big Bengals fan. So uh, we we're like watching it, I guess, you know, out in the at the media table or whatever. During the Xavier game, it finishes. We get into the, the press conference room and Chris is like, oh, what happened to the Bengals game? It's like, oh, they tied. And I, I started I started saying something about like Marvin didn't go for it. He goes, ah, we don't criticize coaches in here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always remember that for some reason. Good. I don't know why. Uh, skinny, would you? Uh, did, well, first of all, did you have any other threesomes that you would like other than the? No, uh, I, I like I like you and the Cronin brothers. That would be fun. Yeah, that they they might have picked out the best one right there off the top. Uh, would you rather wear a tank top every day for ninety days or a thong every day for ninety days? I I think I'd go thong. Yeah, the tank top is just hard. It's visible, so the it's thong like, you can hide. Yeah, the yeah. thong you can hide. It'd be it'd be tough to have a wedgie your entire life, but women figure out a way to live with it. They they do. I, I I'm I'm always amazed at that. They certainly seem to to, to figure out that way. I, yeah, uh, I, I think that's not even a debate. I I don't. I'm not gonna look good in a tank top. Nobody's gonna know whether I got the thong on or not. <laughs> tank tops are such a bad look for 85, 90 percent of the country. Yeah, I, I I could pull off the tank top look when I was in my teens. I mean, even people who are like jacked and in good shape usually look pretty silly in a tank top yeah it, it's yeah. It, it's it's kind of wife beater-esque right yeah but oh yeah i mean i almost like wife beaters more if i'm being honest at least yeah, i feel like the, the type of person that's wearing a, a wife beater ha- has like a cigarette jean shorts and they're in a latonia <laughs> parking lot like they're they're wearing a wife beater because it's part of their brand and who they are and that they've earned a wife beater well and because let's them. let's let's cut to the they don't know any better Right. Exact. Exact. Perfect. Exactly. And people who wear tank tops are like, you know, usually trying, I, I feel like. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, all right. I do, have, I do have like four or five tank tops, though, from from <laughs> from from like vacations and beaches. I thought you were going to say four or five thongs. No, I don't have four or five thongs. Is there a person in the this is the last one here. Is there a person in the U.S. who, if they died, would get the same reaction as the Queen of England? Yeah, I, I'm 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 a little st- I'm, I'm going to go to hell for this probably, and somebody's going to get pissy at me, but I, I'm not so sure I understand all this fawning over that. I mean, are they serious or are they kind of joking? I don't, I think they are serious. Okay. I mean, the, the thing is, dude, they are, they are obscenely rich. And what do they really do? Nothing. Right. I mean, they have like no but, real power or anything. They're just, yeah. There. So I don't, I don't get, get I mean, I'm sorry. Anybody dies for goodness sakes. Uh, well, for the most part, there's certain people that probably deserve to die. I'm sorry she passed. She had a great life. I mean, she lived a long time and lived a long time of life of luxury. And she, for all intents and purposes, is very charitable and all those things. But this whole 10-day mourning period and the fact that I'm watching a show and all of a sudden they're cutting into me watching her go to Buckingham Palace in a, in a her. I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't care. I don't care. It's pretty don't. wild. I mean, they've like, you know, they stopped some sporting events for it. They're, I don't know if I'd say their country entirely shut down for 10 days, but. You know, it's 24-7 news coverage of it I over know. there. I don't, I don't get it. Is there someone here that, I mean, I don't think anyone would get I, I, that I mean, type seriously. of coverage. And- I'm serious. If if Christ came back to Earth or whenever he does come back to Earth, would, would, would he get the same coverage that she's getting at the moment? I don't think so. I mean, honestly. I, I mean, yeah. who, who, this, who, guy, this, this guy thinks he's Christ. <laughs> yeah, who yeah, who no, from the United it. States would get the biggest reaction if they died right now? 
Um, I think any president that would die in office, no matter what yeah. your politics are, would get some kind of reaction. It would be while they're in. Like, I, yes. I wonder, though, like, I think Obama would probably get a bigger reaction than Biden right now. That's probably if, fair. If he were I mean, to die. Like, you, I don't know that you, anyone I mean, really cares. You, you I think people might assume Biden's already dead. Yeah, you can go back. You know, it's a good point. Uh, he's certainly brain Weekend dead. at Bernie's doing. Yeah, doing he's, he's certainly brain dead. He's a puppet right now. You're right. It is. It's very weakened at Bernie's. That's a good analogy. Um, I mean, if you go back and look at, at, at when JFK was assassinated, obviously tragic circumstances, there was a three three or four day period where that was covered like that. So, and rightly so. But an assassination adds like a right. whole nother level to it, too. No, you right. know, like- no, this is this is an older woman who lived a great life and. It's inevitable for all of us, unfortunately, and her inevitability came. And okay, you know, it's it's certainly something to probably break into a newscast for on a national bro- newscast. I get that that the Queen of England has passed, but then to continually break in of um, she's now going up to the castle and they're going to leave her there for a couple of days, and now we're going to take her to Buckingham Palace. She's going to lie in state for four more days, and then we're going to go have a few. Enough, man, enough. I don't need a ten day mourning period. Not in this country. If you want to do that in England, go go for it. I don't need you to break into my TV programming. The more I think about it, the more it might honestly, as much as I hate to say that, it might be like Kim Kardashian or something here. If, like that, that would get the biggest reaction. I'm kind of being serious about that. There's probably a TikToker we don't know about that might get that kind of reaction. <laughs> it would be like Mr. Beast from YouTube. <laughs> there would just be people with subscribed to PewDiePie signs lining the streets of America. Oh, my Lord. That's a good All question, right. though. I, I'm sorry. I, I feel so callous for doing that. I just don't get it, Rick. I don't. I'm with you. Oh, I mean, like, and I understand it's probably not for we didn't, you know, we're not from England. We don't really know or care about. I'm like the last person to ask about British politics. I know nothing about yeah, I, how that I situation mean, I, works I, over you, there. So you're, 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 you're too young for this too, but I never understood. She was, I thought she was a good looking woman. I never understood the fascination with Princess Diana. I never understood it. Yeah. That, that was always weird to me growing up. Cause I didn't, I didn't really know who she was until she died in that car crash. And I was, that's terrible. It's sad. And terrible. the paparazzi right. situation sucks, but. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I never really understood it. I don't know that's for me to understand, but I do think it's kind of fascinating to see how uh, how significant of an event it was for the people over there. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, thanks for the questions as always, guys. We appreciate it very much. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Keeper of First Community Mortgage.